Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo. <laughs> my ponytail hit my top knot <laughs> i almost said well speaking of ponytail it kind of sounds like ponzi <laughs> it shares a lot of letters my best segue yet i maybe that is true <laughs> they're getting better and better don't don't disagree with me i'll cry <laughs> i looked at her because i was like i dare you i questioned it I Don't. was very tempted, and then I wanted to express excitement because this episode, we're not only covering Pontypool, we're covering Pontypool with a super special guest. I'm so excited. So yeah, we have a special guest, much like the last time we had a special mm-hmm. guest. We're going to be covering uh, Nerd Corner and our basic facts in the beginning, and then we'll do one of those sweet, sweet mm-hmm. cuts that everyone mm-hmm. loves mm-hmm. so much, yep. and then we'll have our guest to talk about horror, and we'll say who it is when they're here. Yes. But we are having guests. Um... But now we can talk about some facts about yes. Pontypool, which, very unfortunate. You know how they do the thing that Alien did where they do one letter at a time? Yep. It is Auntie-poo for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, y'all could have done the, the last O, like last, but they really leaned into making it poo for a long time. Which is funny because for a while it was like typo and it's like, okay, okay, okay. And then it's typo. <laughs> I know. I was like, typo. That's cool. And then I was like, oh, the poo. You, yeah. Yeah. Hard to avoid. You got a double O in there. So I was yeah. looking at it like, Auntie Poo. <laughs> No, it's Ponty Pool. Um, it's kind of a, it's not that well known Mm-mm. because I had a lot of people when I like posted the movie, I had some mm-hmm. friends be like, what the fuck is Ponty Pool? Oh. Specifically had one friend, I'm not going to call you out, but you did message me and say, what the fuck is Ponty Pool? <laughs> Aggressively. And I did tell you. Um, it It's a very good movie. It's, it's strange and it's. It's a Canadian yes. zombie horror from, like, the aughts. And I just watched a video about, like, Canadian TV Ooh. that I was like, and the person you made, it's obviously from Canada, and I guess it is a thing, I mean, why wouldn't it be, that Canadian, like, artists and, like, musicians and everything sometimes just don't make it past yeah. being very famous in Canada. Yeah. So it's possible that this movie is quite popular but it, but it might not be. I don't know. It was really, really poorly marketed in the beginning. Really? So yeah, that's. I don't know how much it made. I just know that it really didn't make its money back at first. Oh my god, that's one thing I actually don't have is the budget. Uh, but basically, the director was like, "Yeah, something that didn't really set us up for a sequel is that it just like it took so long to make any money on it at all, right? Because they were basically doing." like screenings where people went in not knowing anything about the film they were about to see like Interesting. no or no trailer nothing they just went and said like what the fuck's pine pool and they were given like little cards most people didn't like it oh no yeah so the original screenings didn't go super well and it wasn't opened up on like a broad scale interesting yeah. i guess that's not too yeah like i'm not surprised it, no one knew about it Mm-mm. every person i brought out she was like what is this one person did my my boss at work actually was like oh. is this like about the radio guy and i was like yeah and they were like i've seen that so See? meanwhile everyone i've possible. talked to has been like oh yeah pony pull that's a weird one really and i was like oh, okay i guess i'm just like main core you know and then apparently people don't know about no. pony pool which is fine well like, one of my facts is actually 
kind of what I talked about earlier about how some movies just don't make it pat like yeah. to us, but they're loved mm. there. So like we'll we'll get to it. Okay. Um, I do have the budget now in my head. Dope. Um, okay, so I'll start with my my few facts. Um, so it was directed by Bruce McDonald. Yes. Uh, he also made, and these are a bunch of films I don't know, but again, they were specifically listed as being very popular in Canada. And that could be wrong. I don't know. Canadians, let me know if I'm wrong. But that's what they said. We have so, at least an Ontario listener. Oh, good. Well, let it me know. Yeah, they'll let us know. Um, so he made Roadkill, Highway 61, Hardcore Logo, Trigger and Hellions. Those are two different movies. I said them weird. Huh? Uh, and then... Hardcore Logo has apparently been ranked amongst the greatest movies ever to come out of Canada. Wowza. That's what I read. This could just be somebody who was like, I just fucking love that movie and I'm going to make sure the world knows. Mm. Like, I don't know. But that's what it said. So, potentially very popular in Canada. Uh, The movie was written by Tony Burgess. And then he wrote the novel also, uh, Mm -hmm. Pontypool Changes Everything. Mm -hmm. And I have some facts about him. So his writing has been described as this. This is a direct quote. Oh. I thought you'd like that. Thank you. Blended ultra-violent horror and absurdist humor, inflicting nightmarish narratives on the quirky citizens of small town Ontario. Think H.P. Lovecraft meets Stephen Leacock. Now here's some facts about Stephen Leacock. Good, because I don't know who the fuck that is. This was a writer from like way back when. I think okay. like either late 1800s, maybe early 1900s. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Uh... Racist piece of shit. Didn't think women should vote. So uh, don't look him up. So. <laughs> but he was like a humorist. So I, I yeah. don't think that his writings were in any way like political or anything. I think they were just like funny. But back then funny could be really not good. Yeah. So yeah. But that is what this person has compared them to. So ooh, not great. But I don't know this person's writing. So who knows? Uh, so yeah. Um, Fun facts about Tony Bridges. He played in a band called the Ether, the Ether Brothers. Okay. Had a job as a telephone psychic. Hmm. <laughs> um, worked at a vinegar factory. So there you go. There's some fun facts. <laughs> all right. Still lives okay. in Canada. Apparently lives in like a house that is considered by all the townspeople to be very haunted. Because oh. it used to be, I guess, like a funeral home, possibly. Mm. If I'm wrong, who knows? But this is these are the facts I got. So an interesting person. Um, he also wrote the screenplay and apparently wrote the screenplay in 48 hours. They were like, you need to adapt it for a movie. And he was like, you got it. And that's what it says. That's, um, sorry, I have something that might be. Yeah. So originally he like had his novel and then mm-hmm. he like optioned it as a radio drama and yes. someone picked it up. And so then he was like, well, we have cameras, let's film this shit. And so like, yeah. then it, so I'm, is it like the audio drama was made into the film in 48 hours or he wrote the so audio drama in 48 hours? The fact hours? that I have is that they did it at the same time. Oh, okay. So apparently the movie and the radio drama are like one thing. Yeah. So they filmed everything, but then all of the things that are like recorded, that's the radio drama. Apparently. Okay. I don't know if they actually did it at the same time or if one came before the other. Yeah. But what I read is that like what he wrote for the film, like that's the radio drama. Yeah. Basically what I read was, it was an interview with him and he was like, yeah, you know, I got option to write a radio drama. And then I said, you know, like, let, fuck it, let's film it. Cool. And so then they just filmed. So yeah. So I think drama. it is yeah. done at the same time. Though. Okay. Cool. So cool. it looks like basically the movie yeah. is the radio drama and we just get to see it. So yeah. neato. neato. And I do think that's really cool because the uh, premise for this movie is based on the War of the Worlds broadcast, <laughs> which what a wild thing that happened. That's what Nerd Corner is it? Uh-huh. I'm actually super excited because that is one of my favorite things that has ever happened. Like um, it's terrible, but it was just wild that 
I wild. I'm excited. Um, I think that was most of my facts. The last thing I had is that, um, when asked about the film at like, um, festivals and stuff, the director said, we don't like to refer to the people as zombies. Conversationalists. (laughs) Yep. I thought that was so funny. (laughs) It was on IMDb as conversationalists. Are they? Yeah. I love that. It's incredible. Conversationalists. Um, yeah, so that's, that's great. Uh, those are all my facts. I do have the, I don't have how much it took to make the film. Mm. I just have how much it made at like box office. Okay. You want to give it like a little, a little guess? 20,000. 32,118. So, not a lot. (laughs) I feel like I read somewhere that the budget was like 1.5 million. Yeah. But I don't remember where I found that, so that might not be real. I I really don't know because it is filmed in like one location. It's not like it, it doesn't look like it would be a high budget film. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean they look like they did what they could with the money they had. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, it didn't make a lot, but it's a good, good movie. I think it just, yeah, like you said, nobody marketed this. Like, well, yeah. (sighs) Those are my facts. Nice. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> you always look like so pleased with yourself and then the realization hits you. <laughs> Every single time. It's like I haven't done this 34, 35 times. 34, now it's the 35th. Okay. okay. Oh, a radio DJ wants to make a splash in the world of radio, mm-hmm. but then learns he can't talk because everyone's turning into zombies. Sorry, conversationalists. Oh, yes, the conversationalists. The conversationalists. did prevent some things. Okay, okay, okay. That's kind of the vibe I got. You yeah. know, yeah, he yeah. really... He, this really happened at the, wor- the the worst time for him because this man was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to make, make it big. I'm going to prove them wrong. And then instead he's like, oops, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what's the actual, <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, including a lot more than I've done. When disc jockey Grant Mazzy reports mm-hmm. to his basement audio, st- nope. Basement radio station. It is an audio station too, but it's, it's mostly a radio station. station. In a, the Canadian town of Pontypool, he thinks it's just another day at work. But when he hears reports of a virus that turns people into zombies, Mazzy barricades himself in the radio booth and tries to figure out a way to warn his listeners about the virus and its unlikely mode of transmission, the English language. Wild! I feel like I that's like not the best summary. But. It's not the best summary, but I like that I did not once mention that the thing that turns people into zombies is talking. Yeah, well... <laughs> What what is it? What's wrong with me? <laughs> I don't and then they die. And then they die. <laughs> All those years of improv training, and I can't do shit. <laughs> what is wrong? God. Um. So yeah, it's the English language. Um. I don't hate that summary, but yeah, I feel like they give him a lot more credit in that summary. They do because okay, so he's like this disgraced radio broadcaster that used yeah. to be way bigger is now like stuck in a tiny town in a church basement, right? And he's just trying to like stir shit up. Basically. He just wants to do anything. He to just get, wants to be like, noticed again. Yeah, yeah, like, and so he's like, he's an unlikely protagonist, and I have a hard time viewing him as likable, despite the fact that he's supposed to have like a hero arc. I find yeah. him uh, not quite detestable, but I find him quite unpleasant and childish. Yeah, I find him to be kind of just like, eh. like I didn't feel one way or the other about him because he really doesn't do a lot. He's very, an, he's like an unwilling protagonist as much as he's just like, yeah. I guess I have to help. Like, I might as well. And then at the end, you know, he's like, I'm going to do it. And then, like, doesn't. But, yeah. yeah, so I'm with you on that one. I, I didn't know how to feel about this man. But they give him a lot of credit in that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I was, you were reading it. And I was like, is he? Is he really? 
trying to find a way. He's really not. I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is often kinder to the protagonists than one would normally be. Like, they were super nice to Helen in Candyman. Oh, yeah. And so I feel like they're just like, we'll invite you in and we'll let you take your opinions from this. He sucks. We're not going to tell you he sucks until you see it. See, that's the problem, though, is I feel like somebody would possibly read a summary like that Mm -hmm. and then watch this and be like, that guy sucks. And then, like, not, like, the movie. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I've... I feel like some people read reviews and summaries and then get mad when they don't match. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, summaries don't match sometimes. If Listen you, to me. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Pontypool, uh, TV Tropes really labels Mazzy as like jerk ass with a heart of gold where he's an asshole. Yeah. But he means to do the right thing at the very end and that makes everything fine. I, I think that he's whatever. like an asshole too, but I think he's an asshole because of... Fading relevance? Yes. Like, I, I don't think he's like mean to people i think he's just a dick because he's like well everything's bad now so i'm gonna take it out on others yep but he probably used to be like not a shitty i don't know because the way he was like i forgot to give her a valentine's card i don't know why i actually was like oh <laughs> like it actually kind of made me sad where i was like he was gonna give her a valentine's card like mm-hmm. i also was really worried when i first saw this that there was gonna be a romance between him and the younger girl and i was like don't fucking do it i was like don't and then there wasn't but then there was a we'll get to it we'll get to it it's nerd corner time and i'm pumped as hell <sighs> <Okay>. <laughs> how many how many tabs did you have open at the end 40 40 tabs mm-hmm. i had it across two screens and i had one labeled like semiotics and like a tab grouping and then i had one on like political discourse and i had one something else so like i told you yesterday i was a bit overwhelmed a and little it just, bit all the directions that Nerd Corner could go. <laughs> Oy vey, okay. Is because there are so many elements in the central premise. So yeah. So like the English language is infected that could be pulled out and held up to the light. So why is it only spoken English? Right. Or spoken language, rather. Why is it English? Is it about the role of media in disseminating false information? Is it especially relevant a decade after its release because of the right of fake news and Trumpism? Is it inspired by William S. Burroughs and his language as a virus threat, etc.? I went a lot of directions. Oh, God. And I kept, like, following it for a while and going down a rabbit hole and being like, no, no, go back, go back. No, 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 no. So I know more about William S. Burroughs than I ever wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great. In the end, I decided not to focus singularly on any of those things and go back even further. Hell yeah. So I read interviews with the author of the book, Pontypool Mm -hmm. Changes Everything, which was, obviously we talked about this, originally a novel, movie's an adaptation, and frankly, that author is kind of hard to pin down as a person. Really? There's a question that he gets all the time that fills him with rage, and it's about like the last scene, like the... Right. Whatever the fuck it's called, the weird one that's like... In okay, noir. I haven't seen this. Oh, it's after all the credits. I'm so upset. It's, I, you don't need to see it. I don't need to see it? No. Because originally that was at the beginning. Oh. that I read that and then I went, what is this scene? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, whatever that scene is, which I haven't seen, was at the very beginning of the movie and then people thought that it was too confusing. So he was like, I'll put it at the end. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> well, it makes sense in that it was too confusing. Right. Because no one understands what the heck. And okay. then he has like a tangentially related spiritual sequel that's called dreamland which is those characters yes and it's only connected in that it's also written by him (laughs) is it really it's not about like interesting okay yeah i read that i read that dreamland was like it kept popping up when i was looking up pontypool and i was like what the fuck is this so yeah apparently he's when i say he's hard to pin down it's also because i feel like he says some contradicting things in his interviews Mm. i didn't read them super closely and it's not like oh he lies it's just like nah he doesn't want to like have a firm answer on anything right he's wishy-washy so then i remembered oh okay 
So he gets, I forgot. Uh, I remembered I forgot. He gets asked the question all the time at like film festivals, screenings, whatever. Right. Like, what's up with that last scene? He's like, that question fills me with so much rage. I can't even like express it. And then every interviewer is like, why does it make you angry? He's like, how do you expect me to answer without being filled with rage? And then they just drop it. So that's I want to know though. Why does it make you so mad? I guess he feels like it's a critique on his creative vision or something. I have no Asking idea. what's up with something doesn't mean that people don't like it. It just means they don't necessarily understand and they're looking for some context. I don't know. Sorry. That makes me really... In, why, why are you so mad, man? In one of the interviews, he summed up the question he received, not as what's up with it, but like, why did you include that? It sucks and it's confusing. Okay. Well, if you get a question like that, yeah. then yeah, that sucks. Yeah. But if someone's just like, hey, like, I'm what's confused. that scene? I'm confused about it. Don't get angry. But I guess if people are like, I hate that scene. <laughs> Why is it there? Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. I'll give you I'll cut you some slack, sir. So then after going down that rabbit hole, I was like, wait, the author of the book and the screenwriter is only one part of the equation. So right. then I started reading interviews with the director ah. and I found something that confirmed a link that a fair number of reviews had noted. Okay. Because I always start reading like a shit ton of reviews right. to see if anyone pulls out like quotes, interviews, that sort of thing. Yeah. So first off, as we mentioned, originally intended to be a radio play, they were like, Okay, well, we can su- shoot a single location film. Let's fucking go. And what was the major inspiration for it as a radio play? None other than Orson Welles' infamous radio broadcast adaptation of The War of the Worlds. A fun little disaster. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be some debunking. <gasps> mm-hmm. Ooh! So I'd always had a vague idea of what happened with this. But Same. then I read an article, uh, a Smithsonian article. Oh. And an NPR article. Good. And uh, the context of the adaptation is a fucking ride, like how it was created. So I'm going to offer a summary that can okay. in no way perfectly encapsulate the sheer chaos, and then I'll bring it back to our linguistically embattled zombies. Okay. Uh, conversationalists. Oh. Conversationalists. Oh so, my god, Kate. Oh, I'm the worst. So first things first, the War of the Worlds, I'm going to struggle saying that. War I have worlds. it in my notes yeah. a ton. I really struggle saying it. It's a lot of W's. It's the R and the L and the W. That's it, yeah. Those are the hard War of the World. World <laughs> It's world of the worlds to me, so. Wow. 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 No, because then we're talking about World of Warcraft. Yep. Continue. The War of the Worlds novel by H.G. Wells was originally serialized in 1897, Mm -hmm. and it was like in Pearson's Magazine, which is a cool thing to like explore. Not now. Uh, For anyone unfamiliar with serialization, it's when a novel is published in short installments or sections over a period of time stretching anywhere from weeks to years. Yeah. It was a popular mode of publication in Victorian-era Britain, which I had to Google the dates of because I don't know when that is. So apparently, that's roughly 1837 to 1901. Yeah. Don't at me if I'm slightly off on those dates. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) No, that sounds correct. Victorian-era can take a lot of... It's like... it's Victoria Victorian is like a very big umbrella term yeah. of a lot of different like time periods yeah. and can be. So when people are like the Victorian era, I'm like, that's not Because when I Googled it, they were like the area in which Queen Victoria reigned. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I have no idea how it's being used in the context of the article versus in the context of history, whatever. Right. It can be very confusing. So that is a vague stretch yes. of time. That's <laughs> long. So other people may be familiar with Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, which was also serialized. Oh. Although earlier in 1859. Mm -hmm. A Tale of Two Cities was told in weekly installments over the course of 31 weeks, for reference. And War of the Worlds was released in nine installments from April of 1897 to December of the same year. Okay. 
It was published in hardcover form in 1898. Every single time I say a year, I have to close my eyes or look away because I'm like, I can say this number. <laughs> you really focus. It's so hard to not say 1998. It, it's hard. It's the 1990s are always on the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to view the publication of War of the Worlds in the context of the time and the genre of literature it belongs to. Right. Namely, invasion fiction. Right. In Great Britain between 1871 and 1914, there were apparently over 40 works centered on the invasion of Great Britain by Emily... Emily Forces? <laughs> Emily, no, don't! <laughs> Emily, stop! You're a monster! <laughs> I can't believe she's done this. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> <clears throat> In Great Britain, between 1871 and 1914, over 60 works centered on the invasion of Great Britain by enemy forces. Enemy forces. Ah, okay. Yeah. And over the decades, the enemy country changed. So in the 1870s, it was mostly Germans. Right. Later, it was the French. So it changed based on sociopolitical events. Mm-hmm. But the core here is that it reflected the societal anxiety that was ramping up as tensions increased among imperial powers in the years leading up to the First World War. Yeah. People are scared of other imperialist countries becoming more powerful and hostile. Time to publish literature detailing how our very worst fears could come to pass. Yeah. As is our way. So notably, the invaders in Wells' work are not merely citizens of another European nation, but aliens from outer space. (laughs) And there are a number of interpretations of the original novel, such as a critique of religious zealotry and rejection of science, or a nod to human evolution, social Darwinism, natural selection. But there's also the reading that it was originally intended to be a social satire on imperialism. Oh. The most prolific and powerful colonizing force in the world finds themselves colonized. (gasps) Great Britain has been colonizing nations for centuries. (laughs) And I want to take a moment here to say that colonization is inherently violent. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, the colonists did this thing. Like, it's not what... (laughs) Teehee! No. (laughs) I can't speak to other people's education, but I know that in elementary school, I was taught that the pilgrims came to the new world seeking religious freedom. And that's wrong on all counts. Wrong. They were just like, oh, those goofy little pilgrims. Uh (laughs) Okay, so like calling it the new world... Religious freedom, come in peace. All that stuff is fucking bullshit. No. Anyway, colonization is the violent subjugation of people and theft of land for profit. It's more than that, but that's the core. So I can put links for more information in extended show notes, but But we should really interrogate how we teach our own history to, you know, uphold white supremacy. God, the history of Thanksgiving is hilariously just like, they made little hand turkeys and everyone had a good time. Like They had some really good cornbread. It was a little dry, but everyone A little dry, but honestly, we can forgive. Like, it's so bad. Especially like... Then we all do little plays about it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Dressed as turkeys. Uh Uh-huh. With the historically accurate and not at all problematic headdresses. And we all hold hands and everything's fine. And everything's fine. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Land back. Okay. (laughs) So in War of the Worlds, we see Britain meet a more powerful force and experience the violence they've perpetrated for centuries. Yeah. Was this H.G. Wells trying to show the people, wow, this sucks when other people do to you what you've done to others, huh? Maybe reconsider your whole imperialism thing. Look at a mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Is this what you want to be? (laughs) Kate's holding up a mirror. (laughs) So many people say it was the intent to be like... Take a second look at imperialism and what you're doing because you are experiencing it now. And that sucks. So bringing it back to the radio adaptation. In 1938, Orson Welles hosted Mercury Theater on the Air. It was a series of radio plays based on adaptations of famous literature. Okay. They didn't have a sponsor, and that is actually relevant, or much of a budget. uh, But they did have a small and loyal listener base. Okay. Not, they were kind of small potatoes. It's fine. Uh, typically, they adapted works such as Treasure Island, A Tale of Two Cities, and Julius Caesar. Okay. But for Halloween, Wells wanted to do something different. 
He wanted to create a radio play where it felt like everything was happening in the present as people listened. Oh, God. He wanted yeah. to produce a drama that felt like a news broadcast during a tragedy. Mm, he good did call. Not, good call. When he pitched this idea, he did not have a specific work of literature in mind. Right. He just wanted something good for spooky season. Yeah. So he took the idea to his team and they agreed on War of the Worlds. It was among other ideas. Yeah. Uh, the guy in charge of actually drafting the adaptation thought the novel was boring as hell. He thought it was dry and frankly not a good fit for what Wells wanted to do. But yeah. through some fun misconnections and lies, he was told make it work. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot the that I'm just like, was like I hate this book. And they were like, cool, that's the one, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the guy was like, go tell Wells it's not going to work. And so he's like, okay, I'll go tell Wells. And then Orson is like, I'm busy with my play. And so he's like, I talked to Wells and he said, you got to do it. Oh my God. (laughs) I love it. So the first draft was not great. The rehearsal tape was said to be painfully dull. Apparently no like records of that actual tape still exist. But like everyone in their writing said that it fucking sucked. So Wells was actively working on another project and apparently gave some vague notes about how to improve it and then went back to his other work. Oh, and no. so the rest of his team, Hausman, Stewart, and Coke, went into... Nope, they did not go into town. They went to town on their revisions. <laughs> they went into town. My own idioms really tripped me up. <laughs> so they were focused on smoothing it out, seamless transitions, and more believable timelines. Yeah. For example, in the original draft, the invasion took days. But in the new version, it happened in real time over the course of like an hour plus. Okay. The actors also repeatedly listened to recordings of news reports on the Hindenburg disaster. Oh, jeez. really nail that sense of mounting terror in their voices. Oh my god. Then Aura Nichols, absolute queen, made an incredible like range of sound effects for the Martian oh. war machines. No. Mwah. Yeah. We love a good sound effect. Yeah. We love Foley, and we love, we love talented Foley. folks, especially oh. when they're from marginalized communities. Yep. Love it. So according to the account of the creators, the people that rewrote the adaptation while right. Wells was off doing his own shit, they intended this to be a piece of fiction that drew the listener in and allowed a willing suspension of disbelief. The team who adapted the novel in Wells' absence never actually tried to pass it off as a real broadcast, merely a realistic radio drama. Right. And they thought that would be too much to ask. They really had no faith in it. They thought it was shitty. And according to everyone, it actually was shitty. So far, originally. everyone hates this project. Like, nobody has liked this. <laughs> no. So before airing... <laughs> Reviews from people familiar with the project said it was painfully boring and would put listeners to sleep. So Orson Welles was like, okay, I guess I'll direct my full attention to the broadcast now since you kids can't handle it. We're here. (laughs) Basically right before the broadcast. So he did his apparently typical routine of insulting his team, berating Mm -hmm. people for poor work, and making drastic revisions in the hours and minutes before going live. So classic white man behavior. Got it. Oh, yeah. And he was (laughs) known for that. And people were like, oh, my God, it sucks. Oh, my God, he's brutal. And then, wow, he's a genius. And he was like in his 20s when this happened. He was quite young. Well, baby boy just yelling at everybody. Uh Uh Don't yell at me, baby boy. He did have a baby face there's a picture that like was disseminated don't you dare yell at me baby <laughs> baby I will, I will not be bossed around by baby boss baby <laughs> no, i got really like boss baby vibes boss baby but you've seen that right because that's my favorite thing in the, on the internet right now you've seen this no okay <laughs> how many boss baby and baby booze and boss baby vibes how many of these are there Boss Baby's eternal, apparently. There's somebody made a, not somebody, the world made a Boss Baby float for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And as it's floating by, the whole crowd is going, Boss Baby, Boss Baby. Why? I don't know. But it was just, I don't like thinking about that many people loving Boss Baby. Every day we stray further from God's light. I don't know what that smug baby, I don't know the hold that he has on the world. 
<gasps> I'm There's sorry. something in his eyes that pulls you in. There's something about Boss Baby. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Orson anyway, Welles is a real so boss baby. Babyface Orson Welles was uh, berating his team and changing everything. And while he made several critical changes, the most relevant to us right now is yeah. that he slowed down the first portion drastically to make oh. it feel more realistic. After all, why would an otherwise normal broadcast start off at a frantic pace? True, yeah. You had to start slow and then allow the horror to build as elements unfold. So with Wells' frantic energy and enthusiasm, the rest of the crew rose to the challenge and the production began. So he made all these edits like in the hours and minutes before it went live. Of course he did. So originally, it was supposed to be equally divided into two main sections. Yeah. And follow the traditional radio broadcast format, which always had a station break at the midway point and would remind listeners that this was a work of fiction. Right. And also, because they didn't have a sponsor... They weren't required to stop at certain points. They could take those breaks whenever they wanted to. Ah. So as they kept making revisions, the first act became longer and the second act became much shorter, which meant they would take their station break at the two-thirds mark instead of the halfway point. Right. For anyone that tuned in late and hadn't heard the beginning of the show, which did state it was fiction. Oh, no. They would be treated to an increasingly horrific broadcast that didn't (gasps) take the regularly scheduled break in the middle, much like emergency bulletins wouldn't take that break. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. I like knew this was going to happen, and yet I'm still like, no way. No way. <laughs> now, Orson Welles is widely believed to have done this on purpose. Very few people at the time or retrospectively believe that he naively made these changes. No. So what happened during the broadcast? Well, not nearly as much as people were led to believe. Okay, okay. So there's this, you know what? Let me pull it up because it's an absolutely wild um, uh, like quote of like what was happening as they were recording. Let's see. So this is a direct quote from Wikipedia. Actor Stefan Schnabel recalled sitting in the ante room after finishing his on-air performance. Quote, a few policemen trickled in, then a few more. Soon the room was full of policemen and a massive struggle was going on between the police, page boys, and CBS execs who were trying to prevent the cops from busting in and stopping the show. Oh my god. It was a show to witness. During the sign-off theme, the phone began ringing. Hausman picked it up and the furious caller announced he was the mayor of a Midwestern town where mobs were in the streets. Hausman hung up quickly. For we were off the air now, and the studio door had burst open. The following hours were a nightmare. The building was suddenly full of people in dark blue uniforms. Hustled out of the studio, we were locked into a small back office on another floor. Here we sat incommunicado while network employees were busy collecting, destroying, or locking up all scripts and records of the broadcast. (laughs) Finally, the press was let loose upon us, ravening for horror. How many deaths had we heard of? Implying they knew of thousands. What did we know of the fatal stampede in a Jersey hall? Implying it, it was one of many. What traffic deaths? The digits must be choked with corpse. The suicides. Haven't you heard about the one on Riverside Drive? It was all quite vague in my memory and quite terrible. Right. Uh, and so there are a lot more. And apparently <laughs> uh, the New York Times, like, lighted bulletin mm-hmm. had Orson Welles causes panic. Oh, God. Yeah. So going back, there were not nationwide surges of panic people <laughs> running through the streets. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, however, a fair number of people were calling the station and the police to ask for details for confirmation. And right. so, like, when a lot of people are calling, you can, from that limited evidence, believe that it is widespread yeah, it's like, panicked. Another contributing factor was potentially the lack of reporters actually awake and at work late on a Sunday night when right. it was aired. And as such, they didn't do hard-hitting reports of the action. They relied more on anecdotal stories that were picked up by other outlets and spread further. So the newspapers... Uh, might have had a hand in escalating oh, no. this a little bit. And this is where I get into kind of 
debunk territory versus maybe not. Okay. And it's it's kind of confusing. So yeah. NPR's Radio Lab and Slate, uh, both two different like <clears throat> news sources, disagree on the extent of the quote panic. And some sociologists retrospectively say there wasn't actually a mass panic by the standards they used to evaluate mass panics. Okay. Radio Lab um, had a special, I think it was in 2013 mm-hmm. as like an anniversary or something. Yeah. Um, they said 12 million people heard it. Of the people that tuned in, some were fooled. And of those that were fooled, some percentage of them did indeed panic. And that does constitute a major freak out because so many people listened to it. Right. However, according to NPR, it was funny because NPR was reporting on themselves and then saying, well, Slate said we're wrong. So uh, <laughs> this is a direct quote. Slate blames newspapers, which allegedly seized the opportunity presented by Wells' program to discredit radio as a source of news. The newspaper industry sensationalized the panic to prove to advertisers and regulators that radio management was irresponsible and not to be trusted. Oh, God. Yeah. Oi, this is a mess. It's a mess. (laughs) And regardless of whether actual panic actually ensued, the airing itself was controversial because of the supposed attempt to make it seem real. Right. Like, it's not just what it caused. It's the fact that, like... It could have, like, you know? (laughs) And Orson Welles, like, went up and was, like, you know, uh, shamefaced and, like, so, like, I never expected this to happen. I never intended to do this. But so many people are, like, that was so calculated. Like, he had to intend to do this. Never trust a boss, baby. Never trust a boss, baby. And this is where I want to take it back to Pontypool. Yeah. The Canadian boss babies, if you will. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. So, like Welles' production... There was a similar pacing breakdown in Pontypool. You start off slow. Grant Mazzy is trying desperately to find anything interesting in a small Ontario town. Yeah. He's doing whatever he can to stir up conflict and agitate listeners. And his producer is trying to rein him in and get him focused on local news stories and remind him that he is in a small town and that matters. Right. Much of the first portion of the movie is Mazzy, setting the scene of just another mind-numbingly boring day in Pontypool. Right. Just trying to find anything to report on. Like, and making everything sound way more dramatic than it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so then you see, like, the way he handles, like, trying to stir up conflict. Yeah. And then when things start to get real, he starts to get quieter and quieter and quieter. There's just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest of the movie starts exploring what happens when you can't witness what's happening and you're relying on outside accounts of some strange horror you could never have imagined. Right. And at one point, Mazzy is convinced that all of this is a massive trick they're pulling on him. Right. So he's the center of his own world, and he gets belligerent demanding proof. He gets more than he'd like, regardless of the deviations of Pontypool from the original source of inspiration. It's fascinating to like pull up the historical threads to see if perhaps this also serves as a diluted critique of the same original serialized novel. Yeah. I kept coming back to, why only the English language? Yeah. Is it all connected to their imperialist history and present? Mm-hmm. I don't think the primary function of Pontypool is to critique British imperialism and colonization. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that tracing the history can invite myriad readings to ponder. Right. Because there is like, okay, well, what does it mean when words are infected? Mm-hmm. What does it mean when it's this specific language? What does it mean placing it in Canada where like this type of thing? And so some things could just be like, oh, we put it in Canada because they have two national languages or whatever. Right, yeah. Or or two languages that are commonly spoken. Two, I don't yeah, know I was going to say like French, English are very common there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. There were just so many different ways to go. And like a lot of folks, I was just doing Googling and I saw like other podcasts had covered like Pontypool and Semiotics. And I was like, it's cool that you did that. I'm going to go a different way because <laughs> I don't know anything about that right now. I, yeah. So there are still so many aspects that we could have covered yeah. for Nerd Corner that we didn't, but... I loved this, though. Thank I, you. I've always been... I, like, I always knew that the whole thing with, like, Orson Welles happened. Yeah. I didn't know to what extent. I just, you know, in history class, we'd, like, talked about it briefly as, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool, but no one ever told me how mm-hmm. bad or how not bad it was. 
interesting to hear that it was like is bad i guess but like it wasn't the mass panic that it is kind of described as no but Uh. i i when i was watching this movie before i did any research i did assume i was like this has to be a Mm -hmm. little bit like (laughs) i need to read you this quote uh if you're okay with that yeah yeah okay uh So this is NPR saying, Slate has a different opinion. The supposed panic was so tiny as to be practically immeasurable on the night of the broadcast. So there was panic, but it was not mass panic. It was not nationwide mass panic. So, quote, Far fewer people heard the broadcast, and fewer still panicked, than most people believe today. How do we know? The night the program aired, C.E. Hooper Rating Service telephoned 5,000 households for its national rating survey. To what program are you listening? The service asked respondents. Only 2% answered a radio play or the Orson Welles program or something similar indicating CBS. Right. None said a news broadcast, according to a summary published in Broadcasting. Mm. In other words, 98% of those surveyed were listening to something else or nothing at all on October 30th, 1938. This minuscule rating is not surprising. <laughs> Welles program was scheduled against one of the most popular national programs at the time, ventriloquist Edgar Bergen's Chase and Sanborn Hour, a comedy mm. variety show. <laughs> so it really wasn't that many people. <laughs> It wasn't. So, like, there might have been, like, a few isolated cases of panic, but it was not, like, everyone took to the streets in New Jersey demanding, like, the governor come out, save us. Like, that didn't happen. Right. Yeah. This is, like, you know what? I bet it would have tricked me. (laughs) Back in the day, if that had popped on, I would have been, like, fuck, we're being invaded. (laughs) I'm a gullible lad, okay? I'm a gullible lad, you know? Gullible lad. I'm a gullible, that's what they say, gullible lad Solomon. Yeah. I, you could tell me a lot of things and I will have to think for a while before I know if you're joking or lying. The Blair Witch? Yeah, maybe I thought it was real when I was little. So sue me. Before kind. <laughs> okay, I don't want to uh, talk about descent. that. I actually don't think you're real. <laughs> Can you imagine if we had watched like the ritual and I was like, I'm never going traveling. I'm. I will never travel. Welcome, there is a monster in the woods. Welcome to Just School with It, where we review documentaries. <laughs> At least that's what I think we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Kate's like, I don't know why she does this. She really thinks they're real. <laughs> but yeah, it would have fooled me. But still, I don't think I would have mass panicked. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I would have barricaded myself just lightly. Just a little. Uh, I wouldn't have gone too wild. Like a dresser against the door. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah, secure that safe zone. <laughs> Whatever. Guess who's playing Dying Light? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that game. It's fun. But yeah, that's Nerd Corner. That was great. I'm so excited you covered that. I've been wondering about it. I've always kind of been like, I should I should look into that. And then I never did. You did it for me. Thank you. Uh-huh. Happy to help. Uh, well, I mean, that means it's time mm-hmm. for our sweet transition. Uh, and the next time you hear us, we'll be talking about horror with a great guest. And I'm really excited for everybody uh-huh. to hear it. Let's give the people what they want, Kate. They love our good, good transition noise. (laughs) Someday they're going to say stop it and we won't. (laughs) I wish they would stop. (laughs) We won't. Picks up pace. Okay, so we did Nerd Corner, mm-hmm. and we've done some facts, and now it's time for horror. And as promised, we have a guest. We have Jenna Stieber from Polygon.com. Hello. Hello, Yay. Kate and Nikki. Thank you for having me. Hello. Oh Thank, you. Thank you. 
We're very excited to talk about Pontypool. Pool. I love Pontypool. <sighs> I was, oh, well, it's been on our list. So when you suggested it, I was like, someone else knows Pontypool? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. So, so underloved, I think, in the horror community. It's, we were talking about this. Kate kept saying that people knew it. Everyone I talked to was like, no, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, I think like, it's people, everybody I know who has seen it has loved it, but I don't think it's just, I just don't think it's widely known. No, no. it's not, it's not anywhere easy to get either. Mm-hmm. Like, it used to be on Netflix. I watched it like a few years ago, and now it's like Apple TV and also what, the really weird Amazon AMC. subscription <laughs> through Amazon. And I think weird. Direct TV has it, but who has that? So. <laughs> Yeah, some of us just have it on DVD because we're older and we don't trust digital well, media anymore. Some of us are lucky. <laughs> yeah. Some of us are smarter than others. Yeah. I made a mistake. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we talked about Nerd Corner, which was about um, Kate uh, will know. <laughs> uh, well, so the Wells separated by several decades. Uh, so H.G. Wells, The War of the Worlds, later adapted into Orson Wells. War of the Worlds broadcast and the not actually widespread panic that it occurred or that it caused, um, but the very like sensationalized news coverage of it. And then basically how the pacing of the um, broadcast adaptation does have parallels to this and then drawing threads back through H.G. Wells. Sorry, I'm like trying to like math it out and brain it. But basically, <laughs> if you chase the political thread from the original, which could be read as a critique of imperialism of Great Britain, and then go all the way through the adaptation, which was an inspiration for Pontypool, and then Pontypool only having like the English language be infected. I'm not saying that Pontypool is a direct critique of British imperialism. We're not but. saying, <laughs> but it could be. Well, I think there is some. Maybe? There's some interesting. I mean, because it's not just that. I mean, it is interesting that the English language is the only one that is quote unquote mm-hmm. infected mm-hmm. in it. But I, I think there's also some interesting commentary because you have the. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia singers coming in <laughs> yeah, and doing their performance yeah. but in, in a very like knowing like the, the movie understands that this is yeah <laughs> a, a not good racist, yeah, like uh, representation Ugh. but you will also have like N- Nigel Healy from the BBC in his mm-hmm. in his radio segment being like um, your country has a, a history of separatist <laughs> yeah. and terrorist activity and and uh, just everybody being kind of like what the fuck like Oh <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think so. I think that that the imperialism it's it's a it's a it's a minor thread in this. It's I don't think it really gets pulled out, and the fact that like have a lot of English language white people as our our leads, yeah, it it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily pull on that thread as much as it is. But that thread's there. It's yeah. definitely there. And then yeah, so we talked about that, and then we talked about how it's like recorded. It was recorded to just be a radio drama originally, and then they were like, what if we filmed it as well? So it was a movie at the same time. That's so cool. Yeah. See, that was Nerd Corner, but now it's time for horror. Um, I also talked about in the beginning, they did the they did the thing that Alien does with their opening credits, where they do it like letter by letter. But for a brief second, it is Auntie Pooh. And I was like, a bold choice. I like that they were like, mm. I mean, it <laughs> starts off saying typo with the first number of yeah, letters yeah. that they just... down. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that's cool. And then they really went with the, the poo route, but that's okay. Um, Why not? If it's there, you got to a bold move. You got to lean into it. Also, Kate, also, <laughs> the hand on my eye is really throwing me off. It's got her cursor right on my eyeball. And I was like, what, what is this? We're good now. Um, okay. 
So this is the second time I had seen it and I was really excited. I forgot that it's all in one location, basically. It's a bottle episode, yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah, it's so cool. But I was, uh, most of my notes are about how they kept it looking very cold and wintry, even with like very rare outside shots. I loved it. It's so, it's so chilling. Like (laughs) the whole thing. It has the it has the twilight blue, you know, like yeah, <laughs> a little blue cast yeah, the classic. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um, but I said I, it has Night Vale vibes as well. I don't know if you listen to mm-hmm. like Night Vale, but the way that they do like the very beginning, uh, yeah, I don't know what that was. This is a thing that occurs often is I don't really understand movies and Kate has to explain them and now you can help. What is the beginning thing that they're doing? <laughs> What is the the cat poster? Yeah, what, I think it's I think it's just an opening monologue. Like I don't necessarily okay. I mean it, it's clearly like he's he's doing like his talk segment, his his big, big brain radio okay. talk segment, but I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily a reference to a specific thing. Okay. I, if yeah. anything, it, Welcome to Night Vale is probably referencing Ponty Pool. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um yeah, it just, uh, I couldn't tell if it was very significant. And I was like, mm. I got to pay attention to this cat poster. And I mean, it didn't come up as much. And I was well, like, oh. it's not, <laughs> it's kind it's of like not, a... not relevant. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 I just couldn't tell. And I was like, Kate and Jenna will be able to tell me. Um, I, but yeah. it was very haunting the way he was reading it. So I couldn't, I couldn't tell, but yeah. I liked it. <laughs> um, I also said a uh, sprawling snowy landscape and a scope aspect ratio. That aspect ratio. There is never a more iconic duo than very <laughs> sprawling cold landscapes and like that nice wide screen. Yeah. I loved it. It's stark. But, uh, yeah, it's so stark. I especially love that opening moment with the woman at the car where she's like slamming yeah. on his window and it's just black behind Ooh. her. Like there's b- yeah. basically no landscape is visible. It's just like this this field of darkness that she disappears mm-hmm. into as soon as she arrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so snowy. Like there's just nothing. You can get like little flecks of snow and then it's just nothing behind her. And it's like, it's all, it looks like it's not even on earth. It's so spooky. Um, and then same with like when they have the windows open and it's just that pouring in snow. I was like, oh, it's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does such a great job of capturing. uh, I mean, the fact that he arrives in darkness and like we know Mm -hmm. it, we know it's, it's so early in the morning that he had to crawl his ass out of bed at 3 (laughs) a.m. and drive through the snow drift to get to this shitty morning job that he fucking Mm -hmm. hates. (laughs) Oh my God. So evocative. They do such a good job of making him absolutely miserable. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so mad. Good for him. Yeah. He's on the phone and he's just so angry. And I was like, yeah, no, they, this is good. They've really established that wherever he's going, he does not want to be there. <laughs> he's miserable. And he's so I think angry. has every right to be. <laughs> if I had to get up at yeah. 3 a.m. and drive through the snow oh to go God. sit in a basement and drink alcohol and be on the radio, I'd be miserable too. <laughs> I love when he takes a sip of his very whiskey coffee and says, I'm just sipping my coffee. I was like, you fucking liar. I was like, mm, classic. Yeah. Like, Especially because he's like going off on, on everybody drunk on the ice because it's the end of yeah. ice fishing season. And he's like, these drunkards sip, sip, sip. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, just like, Oh my God. I also, I loved the difference between it's Sydney and then what is the other girl? Laurel Ann. Laurel Ann. Okay. I couldn't have it was Laura Ann or Laurel. Laurel. But I like how intense Laurel Ann is when she's like, I got to find this. Like, and then Sydney's just like, ugh. (laughs) Like, she's so tired of his shit. (laughs) I, I love both of them so much. And I, like, 
I kind of assumed I hadn't seen it in a long time, so I kept forgetting that Sydney doesn't get infected at any point. Yeah, she, she does. does. Oh, she does. Yeah. She does. But yeah, I meant but she like, doesn't die from the infection. Yeah. yeah. I thought that her and Laurel Ann were like switched, oh. and so when Laurel Ann was sadly infected, I was very sad. I really like Laurel. <laughs> Laurel Ann's great. I think they all have. They have such. A, it's such an interesting like trifecta dynamic where like mm. I don't think the story would be anything if you removed any any one of them but just like this tension yeah. between sydney uh S- sydney and laurel ann who are clearly like old old work partners <laughs> like clearly yeah. get along and then uh, like grant and laurel ann who are laurel ann like clearly loves and respects grant just total buds <laughs> and then sydney and grant just like <laughs> doing they're just so they're fucking each best other. yeah yeah they clearly hate each other but they're just like we've like, got a job to do <laughs> It's that working relationship where, like, you know you're going to see the person every single day for foreseeable <laughs> a very long time. And you're like, it's fine. Like, I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. But I, I love poor Laurel Ann, which my favorite line and probably the whole movie is when she's like, I think it's, uh, what are they, conversationalists, oh, not yeah. zombies, as they, the director has said, are, like, banging on the door. And she's like, we have enemies, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> she's. She's she was in a war. Yeah, she was in Afghanistan. Yeah, I was like, yes, intense. Loved her. She's great. We've got enemies. And I was like, you sure do. <laughs> so at one point, she calls Sydney sir, and I was like, okay, I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like clearly a veteran and like that's clearly part of her backstory and it just it's just yeah. suddenly comes all out at this moment yeah. that kind of snap to professionalism that I think mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. kind of just like evident throughout this whole movie that I really like. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was fun. They and did a good job. Even scarier when she is no longer on their side because mm-hmm. she's looking around. She's like intelligently interacting with the space Ugh. and like trying to figure out what to do. And she ends up, you know, just banging on the glass until she dies. But <laughs> she does like it. She's walking around the room and at one point she's like looking at something and I can't tell if she's looking at it because she's thinking or because there might be sound coming from it. No. But Ugh. she has that like mentality and that experience where it's like she's a dangerous zombie now yeah. conversationalist Conversationalist. Sorry. <laughs> yeah she she's amazing she did a great job she creeped me out the minute she started like repeating words i was like no not laurel Ann. <laughs> like, she's so scary yeah um, and she has the only moment of real gore in the movie yeah uh, she does yeah and i think it's i think it's really well done i think just like the the like carved up mouth that oh, she gets so at the spooky. end yeah mm-hmm. really she, grim like, nothing in this movie feels overdone, which is nice. Like, I, because, like, we've had a lot of movies. Evil Dead. Evil Dead, which I love. <laughs> I love like, it. Yeah. You know, when you've got a small budget, sometimes it's like, well, let's go wild on blood. More like, oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they just did a good job. So I loved it. And I liked that it was, even though it was in one location, um, they did use it to their advantage by going to, like, other rooms, obviously. Because yeah. it would have been easy to be like, oh, we'll just stay in the, the yeah. radio room and it's fine. <laughs> the radio room. <laughs> the recording studio. I call it an audio room. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but I, I did love it. But what was I going to say about Laurel Ann? Um, I like that her character also was developed uh, kind of subtly and not, like, right on your nose. Like, I was in a war, you know? Like, she doesn't <laughs> say like, it. sit like, down, whippersnappers. Yeah. You gotta know. <laughs> All of them were very subtly done in a nice way, and I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, and some just powerhouse performances, I think, across the yeah. board. Just really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. I think the, the guy who plays Ken Loney, I don't actually know his name. Uh, Rick who Roberts. Is the di- 
Oh, okay. Ooh, he yeah. was great. He's considering incredible. you don't see him. Yeah, I think you just his performance oh. is so pure and so terrified and just so incredible. And to carry all of that just through your voice, I think is incredible mm-hmm. acting. Oh, yeah. He, and the way oh. he utilizes, like, the pauses between sentences or, like, between words or, like, the way they use silence as tension. Like, hold on, I can't say anything. Yeah. And you hear, like, maybe so something scary. in the background. But the way that that actor, like, paces his lines, mm-hmm. top tier. Is so good and I, I also love that there's that moment where she says like he's not in a chopper and he doesn't know that yeah. which is incredible and, and I love that there's that moment you know you know okay he's not in a chopper blah blah and then there's that there's that si- like really subtle moment where he's talking about how he's driving around once shit has really hit the fan and he's like I'm trying to drive I'm trying to drive and you're like oh so we've given up on the <laughs> you know yeah. we know that this is not a chopper like yeah, it, it was a good way to be like, it's too late for this. Like, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, I like a part. It, there's a, a part later on where, um, where I mean, because Sydney and Grant sort of do this exchange where at, at one point Sydney's like, I think this is a hoax, and Grant is like, No, this seems real, and like they kind of swap. Yeah, but there's this really great do. moment where Sydney is like, I, I don't know, Grant. I think people are fucking with us, and Grant's like, yeah. and Grant because he can't respond to her because he's on the air so he's like doing his on the air performance and his response is something mm-hmm. like our in fact our own ken loney <laughs> and like the subtext yeah. is no our person on the inside is saying this is really happening this is not yeah. being, this is not being faked i think that's mm-hmm. just a, a like, really smart moment of, of script writing yeah you know, yeah it's it's just, it's just very scary to to watch all of them try to figure out what is happening and like you said, there's that moment where they switch. Like, first, she's really upset about it. And then she's like, no, this has to be fake. And then he's like, oh, no, I think it's real. And then you get the BBC call. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, it's just, it takes so many steps into what, what is happening? What, what's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite part about this movie is that it is filmed in a single location. Mm-hmm. And so they are limited by only being there and not witnessing almost any of the early stuff firsthand. So they only have what other people are telling them at the discretion of technology working, that person actually answering their phone. And so it's, they are so limited, they are so isolated, and that gives you like this claustrophobic feeling. Yeah, it's, it's very claustrophobic. And also uh, with the like phone calls and everything like not coming through and it gets all staticky and you can sometimes not hear, I was like, oh, good sound design. The sound design was so good. It's incredible. I mean, it has to be, it has to be. But but I say that and, I, I rewatching this, I was really struck because I, I only ever saw A Quiet Place in theater. So I haven't like sat down uh, and with my head, right. li- my little headphones on and my, yeah. under my little blanket in my little apartment <laughs> and listened to it. But I, I was really frustrated with how I think inattentive the sound design in that movie was for what kind of movie mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. like any movie that focuses on using silence, you have to do it at the right, like we've talked about this so many times, you gotta do it at the right time, you gotta do it for the right amount of time, and like, it's just, it's so easy to like, mess it up, and it, yeah, here's a fun Quiet Place story that everyone makes fun of me about, I saw that movie, I used to work at a theater as a projectionist, and I went right after work one day, and I didn't have time for dinner, and so the only thing I had with me was carrots, I felt oh, no. so bad, Oh no! I was like, like, I was trying my very best. As soon as the monsters would come, I'd be like, like, just, like, nibble on my... Furiously eating carrots in a dark theater. Great. I just wanted to eat them. I gave up eventually. I knew. I wasn't going to be rude. But that's how I watched A Quiet Place. I have not watched it since. But, yeah, I agree that it was... It's a little... Yeah, this movie, I think, did a good job. Um, 
I especially liked when they would like pass the notes and stuff. And when they were speaking in French, I loved that. <laughs> when you see him be like, I don't know, like how much French I know. <laughs> I They know about as much as I remember. And I was like, I can translate this, which is not impressive considering it's like fifth grade level French tops. <laughs> it's impressive to me. <laughs> I took it for four years. I should know more than that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but there there aren't a lot of jump scares. It is mostly just like mm-hmm. ambiance, sound design, and like a little bit, like you said, of gore. Um, and it's so good. I I like movies that don't have to rely on too many jump scares, mm. just because I like a I like a nice subtle one. Like uh, I love a jump scare. I know they've fallen out. Really? Of, yeah, I know they've fallen out <laughs> of trend in the horror community. Something that frustrates me to no Listen. end. But I love jump scares. Yeah. They always well. get me. That's and why I, I like appreciate them. them. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> we did a live stream of a horror game until dawn. And I did scream out loud with my That's whole chest. And I yeah. jumped and grabbed me. It's great. I'm very easy to scare. It is so funny. I think that's the only reason that I don't. It's just because I'm like, I, I've seen him. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know what's going to happen. Like, it's fine. I, it's, sometimes they still get me. And when they do, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh. But, yeah, I, I like a nice, like, um, I like a jump scare if it comes from, like, a very a movie that builds up to yeah. it really well. There was one that I really loved. Um, have you ever seen The Black Coat's Daughter? Mm. No, I don't think so. Because that's a really good one that has a, like a really subtle jump scare as like well. One. Yeah, where it's like this, where it kind of builds the tension. It starts off super slow. And it's like, oh, yeah, things are kind of scary. And then, boom, it's just like, ah! <laughs> and it really got me. So this movie was the same. Once she hits the glass, I was like, oh, it's, it's happening now. This is it. Like, <laughs> we've moving away from the calm. <laughs> It's, oh, I loved it. I'm trying to get to my actual notes now. Oh, I did like that. So I always forget names. I'm terrible. Grant. Grant Mazzy. Thank you. Grant is, I like that he's kind of the hero of the movie, but he's also an asshole like the whole time. So he's very, you have to warm up to him. We had a kind of contradicting opinions. Oh, I warmed up to Grant. Okay. I find him belligerent oh, yeah. and unpleasant. Oh, yeah. And the way when he's getting like paranoid, he's like, you're fucking with me. Everyone's doing it. I'm like, okay, first of all, you're the center of your own world right now. You think that everyone is doing all of this to like play a joke just on him. you. Yeah. And then he starts yelling. And when people raise their voice like that, I am not a fan. And then he just like points. And it's like such an intense. He does. And I just, I was not there for his energy. And (laughs) then, like, as soon as things got really real, he just like totally retreated into himself. Like, he became so much quieter. He was just like, I don't know. It was like that thing where he was like freaking the fuck out. And then he's like, okay, well, I saw enough. Now I can trust it because I saw it. And then. He and Sydney switch places where she was like, okay, I can't handle this. And he's like, I'll handle it for you. Don't worry. Like, I'm going to be strong. I don't know. I don't like him. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I I, would say, I think both Sydney and Grant, I, in, in, they both exchange being the one who think it's the hoax, but I think they both exchange yep. being the asshole. Like, I, I mean, yeah. they're both, yeah. I, it's, it's hard because I don't feel like, I don't know. They are clearly neither of them being their best selves because they're both trying to no. make this horrible relationship work. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. and, and neither of them wants it. Like, Grant doesn't want to yeah. be there. Sydney doesn't want him to be there. But they're all just sort of like, well, let's fuck it. We've got to soldier on. Yep. And so, yeah, they're both assholes. I think you're right. But yeah. I kind of I th- appreciate how both assholes they yeah. are. <laughs> Yeah, she has that, like, wry humor and that just, like, quick wit. And she's like, a haiku, a shitty haiku is not going to save the situation. And, like, (laughs) 
early on, she is so patient. She is trying She's so gently to like pull him back in and say like, this is a small town. You have to understand that these people all know each other and they have real problems that they don't need broadcasted. And she is so kind. And she like compliments sandwiches everything. And he's just like, I don't know. And I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, it's not what I do. I don't like it. <laughs> I like when she yells, I, I like your messiness. I want, I hired your yes. messiness. Yes. Um, but you can tell she's just like, oh, cannot she, she doesn't like his messiness. Like, no. <laughs> I, I think it's great that the two people in this movie that it gets focused on are truly in the worst situation <laughs> of their lives. Like neither of them likes at all where they are. And for this to happen anywhere, it's just like it happened at their job where they're both so miserable. <laughs> I, I would be an asshole too. Oh, if yeah. I was at my job and somebody was like, hey, listen, you can't leave. I'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna go. Yeah. So which which leads I think me I'm a little to the thing I yeah, which leads me to the thing I at least like about this movie, which is the romance. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I was I I was no. like really excited. I was taking my notes and I was like talking into my phone and I was like, cool, they found a way. And then she goes, kill me. And I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. Yeah, I think in I my know. head canon, it's like that it was one heated kiss. They were just like, we've just got to get through this. And then and then afterwards, yeah. they just never talk about it because they don't talk because they don't like each other. Yes. <laughs> she was like, you did it. Thank you. Have a kiss. And then she was like, no do not speak like yeah. I was like that I yeah it felt it felt kind of forced as mm. I think most romances not most I guess but a lot of romances in movies do where they're yeah. just like what do people like kissing <laughs> <laughs> so they're like throw it in and I was like no actually I'm okay without it it's fine <laughs> if they hadn't I think it would have been more true to their relationship yeah they hate each other so much yeah. mm-hmm uh, I think it is funny that the one person that does die in this, not die, but like the one person that dies in this little group is the one person who's happy to be there and like loves her job. <laughs> Laurel Ann would have thrived. <laughs> she would have been so great. But yeah, I I just liked the subtle character development, the lighting, everything came together really well. I, I think it's so good. Um, the doctor, he was an interesting character. I was going to yeah. ask you guys how you felt about this guy because he comes in and he's almost like a caricature of a doctor oh, yeah. but I, I don't hate it like I was like he's weird <laughs> he's one of the tropes I have D- is it yeah. he's got a very interesting energy he comes in kind of like completely unfeeling like he doesn't have any emotion about this other than I'm intrigued yeah. and I and it's so unsettling to me like he, he creeped me out kind of mm. from the very beginning even before he was infected i was like i don't like this guy's vibe yeah i love his vibe he's so manic i love him like yeah Yeah. like yeah dr mendez is such like he is so fascinated with what's happening he kind of gives me vibes of um the fly the remake of the fly Mm, where where he's just like so intrigued about this horrible thing that's happening to his body um it kind of has the same vibes where dr mendez is just like so excited that something this wild is happening uh and to get to theorize about it (laughs) oh i think I think the only reason I wouldn't like his vibe is if I was in the situation. Yeah. If somebody was that excited about the situation and I was like, I, I don't like this. I think I'd be like, I'm not a fan. But watching it, it's great. Honestly, the way he interacts is like he's alone because yes. he's just like spinning out theories. And it's just incidental that other people are there also speaking or hearing him. And he's just like in his own world. And he's just like so tuned into the science and the intrigue. Yeah. 
And it's just like, he doesn't know anyone else is there right now. He just kind of does his own thing, spit in the top. That's totally true and proven when people do say things. And he's like, oh, you're here. Like, he looks at them like, you've spoken. And I'm like, yeah, man. (laughs) He was just such a cool character. He was a weird mix of unsettling me, but also he was like some comedic relief that I I was like kind of excited about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he was... He's a good character. He makes an interesting counterpoint to Laurel Ann because it's like, yeah. it, yes, it, yeah. after Laurel Ann passes, I think Grant and Sydney are kind of spiraling. And so having him be here, yes. be a third presence that kind of offsets that energy because uh, they're spiraling downwards and he's spiraling upwards because yeah. he's so excited. Yeah, <laughs> He was like, it's almost like he climbed through that window and he was like, oh, hell yeah. People can listen to me now. Like, yeah. I'm so excited to say this to people who will hear yeah. me. Even though he's like figuring it out that he shouldn't talk and he's still like, I, I'm going to keep talking. Can't help it. He's too excited. He can't. And I get that. As someone who talks a lot, I'm like, yeah, no, I understand, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Um, I did like watching his subtle, uh, like when he does eventually get infected, I loved watching him like kind of cover his mouth when yeah. he would say stuff. He'd be like, oh, oh. And I yeah. was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I was surprised they didn't notice, but they kept kind of giving him side eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a good spooky moment. I liked that a lot. <laughs> One yeah. of the things that I really like about this movie is um just from like a rewatchability angle, once mm-hmm. you understand yeah. conceptually what the scare is and what is happening when you rewatch it it's impossible not to notice moments in which people stutter or slip in their Mm -hmm. words there's a lot of moments where people say the wrong word for like the context that's you the first time you watch it is really easy to just kind of hop over like there's a part early on where sydney says something like you're doing a first rate first rate job and it's like in a in most movies, that would have been cut or they would have just done a different take where she right. doesn't stumble. But, like, the stumbling is important. Like, the, the inaccuracy yeah. of our language is important. So, like, I just think that's a great part about not only watching this movie, but rewatching is just seeing the, the ways in which people stumble is so good. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's so cool. And I wonder how much of it was, like, left in like you said like I wonder if it was just like left in if someone made a mistake and they're like oh that's great like let's let's roll with that or if it was like no just stumble every now and then mm-hmm. I I'm always intrigued when movies have stuff like that and I'm always like oh how much is improv like I really want to know I think a lot of it is scripted because uh, I have yeah, I have like, listened to the radio play version of this and it, it really is, yeah it's almost the same almost beat okay. for beat word for word almost exactly the same i was gonna say i would say it has to be right because like they did them both at the same time okay. so it's gotta be like the same i want to listen to it mm-hmm. i didn't know that actually until i read i was doing my notes and i was like oh it's a radio play and i thought that was so cool i was watching the movie yeah. and i was like this feels like welcome tonight but i could just listen to it if i want and then <laughs> i was like oh no no i'm watching i'm watching <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how much watching it adds to it. Because, like, mm. how, which one do you prefer? I'm curious. Oh, like, the movie. Do you have a preference? The movie. Yeah, yeah, is it? I, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, part of that's because I watched the movie first and then went back and listened to the radio show. But it, it mm. is, I mean, the, the uh, it is fascinating that it's fundamentally the same because that's normally not how adaptations go um, because you have to change right. things for the medium. But I, I think Bondi Pool is such an interesting example because the... I mean, the camera work that they're doing is really interesting throughout because it's, 
I mean, you mentioned earlier about how claustrophobic it feels. And part of the way that Mm -hmm. they develop that is just by having all of these extraordinarily intense close-ups. So big close-ups, yeah. Yeah, just super, super tight. A lot of them on like Grant's face where it's just like you get like the Mm -hmm. eyes, his mouth, and the microphone Mm -hmm. or really close-ups on Sydney, And just like this this feeling of being in in too personal a space with these characters but it's a lot of that and a lot of like just really really surprisingly long held shots like not not a lot of fast cuts or stuff yeah they keep showing laurel ann's body they do at least two long takes of it where it's just like right like at body level (laughs) and you just see like her profile and it's grim and they keep holding it there like remember you looked like you forgot and it's (laughs) that's in my notes, actually, is one of my favorite moments is that they use that shot like twice, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like the same shot, but it doesn't bother me at all mm-hmm. because it's almost like it's, like you said, reminding you like they're stuck in here. And not only are they stuck in here, but now someone they both care about is just there. Like there's nothing they could do about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so eerie to think like, what would you do if you were stuck in just one room with one, someone you hate, and two, like the only nice person is dead and you're right there. <laughs> I'd probably uh, make out with them because that's what this yeah, movie I, tells I, me I I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, you know? I just, maybe it was just the snow. Snow is so romantic. Like, <laughs> and it they kept looking out the window day. and they were like, Valentine's it was Valentine's Day. Day. That part actually did make me sad is when he's looking at the card and he's like, I forgot to give her a Valentine. Yeah. I was like, yeah, man, it's too late now. What if he was like, I'm going to go give it later. And he's like, hold on. He's like, there. Yeah. And she was like, oh, thanks. I'm cured. <laughs> what, I mean, now what was stopping him? He didn't test him? it. So. He could have just not talked and just like put it in her <laughs> No, too dangerous, too dangerous. Um, I also did not know it was Valentine's Day until that moment. Was there any other clues or did oh, yeah. I just miss them? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. There were. All, yeah, oh, yeah, there absolutely. Damn yeah, there's, yeah. Some, there's some like cheesy decorations. <laughs> and yeah. like they actually show a shot of the of the uh, Valentine pretty early on. They, <laughs> yeah. Damn it. It's very yeah, subtle yeah, and, and it's not fundamentally <laughs> <Yeah>. very important. <laughs> It's, but it's, it is actually a trope too. Not one that I'm covering this time, but it's horror doesn't settle for a simple Tuesday where it's like <laughs> horror movies holiday. tend to like take place on a specific date or a holiday. So it's like, oh, it's like Friday the 13th. Ooh. It's Halloween. I'm just naming <laughs> movies now. Uh, <laughs> but it's like usually a thing where it takes place on a holiday yeah. because it's not just like it has to happen, you know. Uh, that actually is, uh, there's a whole series called Holidays of Horror Shorts that all take this. place on different holidays, and they're all very good. So, <laughs> Which one do I want the most? It's a tie between St. Patty's Day holiday? and New Year's. I want those for different reasons. <laughs> the St. Patrick's Day short and holiday is very yeah. upsetting. <laughs> oh no! It's my good, favorite it's short. so upsetting. Uh, Valentine's Day is my favorite. Uh, Ironically, it has nothing to do with this, but that is my favorite short huh. in that, that clip. I, I have it. not seen it in a long time, but that is the only one that like stands out. And mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, so spooky. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Spookiest holiday? Well, definitely. I'm not going to say Halloween. That's too easy. It's you too know, easy. Christmas, pretty spooky. It's winter, you know. I think Christmas is the scariest because of the juxtaposition of like holiday cheer and all the bright decorations and just like blood spatter, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On anyone's Christmas tree. Everyone has that, you know? I see that. I regret that there aren't more good New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Yes. There should be a new start. Like, what's scarier than that? I mean, it's a very, like, symbolically potent time. So it seems a shame that no one has just taken advantage of that. I know, like, 
does it, Hulu does like a whole thing where they Huluween where they're like we're gonna do a new horror movie every uh, holiday and the one for New Year's is actually really good yeah. and I was like hell yeah finally like we're getting somewhere because it's great it's all about like influencers and stuff good oh, stuff okay yeah so yeah you're right holidays and horror movies besides a scope aspect ratio and a snowy landscape that's a more iconic duo oh, you yeah, got yeah, me yeah. Okay. uh. I'll put yeah. it in my bracket. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that was like most of my notes about, that is the wrong notebook. Most of my notes about uh, horror, I think. I mostly was just excited about, like you said, the, the close-ups and everything. You already mentioned it, but it's so good. I think it really drives home like, these are the only people you're going to see. <laughs> you don't see any of the conversationalists like for longer than a few minutes, really. And I think that's so interesting. You really just hear them, which makes sense, considering talking mm-hmm. is the thing you shouldn't do. Um, I, I don't know. Do you guys remember any more times besides when they all come in, when, like, they make noise and then they kind of walk back out? I can't name more times. I mean, you'd you get really the woman the woman at the beginning. The woman at the beginning. You get the child. Oh, yeah. That oh. they do brutally murder. I what? mean, they kill her in self-defense. What? But... I'm really surprised. They really just kicked her, huh? They, they really the went for it. Her. Like, yeah. I had it in my notes. I was like, oh. <laughs> why, why was she sticking around? I'm curious. Her parents were like, no, too weird. <laughs> stay here, babe. <laughs> like, you can stay. They're like, you're kind of creeping us out, deuces. Because <laughs> everyone else was like wandering around. And she was like, actually, I'm good. <laughs> I'm happy here. I, I did like that. I did like that she was there. But yeah, you, I feel like you don't see a lot of other people too much. You did get a lot of poor Ken, mm. which... We do find out Ken sucks, so... Yeah. <laughs> I love that moment, though. I yeah. love when she's really sad, and then she's just like, I don't actually like him that much. Like, <laughs> it's just that I've known him for 17 years. Yeah, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. You I know someone long enough, it's like... Incredibly distressing moment where she, like... Oh, oh yeah. it's so upsetting. Yeah. Can't help but oh, feel that... devastated, but... Yeah. yeah. I grew up in a really small town where you know everyone, and so it's like, I... Did not grow up in Pontypool, Canada, but I did grow up in a small rural town. And so, like, <laughs> I can imagine almost, like, how it would feel just someone that, like, their name has been in your head for your entire life. Like, you've seen them at the grocery, you've seen them at the corn festival, you've seen them at the banana split festival. I'm saying too much about my hometown now. <laughs> Our town maintains, despite all evidence to the contrary, that we did invent the banana split. So, oh, good for it's you. Not true. And it's, I it's not, yeah. That. You just love a bold lie, right? <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> But yeah, I, I can't imagine that. It would be very upsetting, but yeah. also like, I, I don't know if someone sucked. I don't know. Very mm. weird moment. That when she's talking to her kids, that freaks me out mm. a lot is when she's trying to sound tr- like not, I guess, upset yeah. as upset as she can't like, and then Laurel Ann is just smacking the glass. And I'm like, oh, this is such a scary moment. And you can also tell that Lulu is being a child, as she is one. Yeah. Right. And just like, you didn't get me a present. It's not your birthday, sweetie. You yeah. didn't get me a present. Like, where are you? And she's like, put your daddy on the phone. And Lulu's just going on, which it's and, a kid. Yeah, and also they're not supposed to talk. Yeah. And so she's like talking and talking. And she's and using I'm terms like, of endearment, which stop, she's not supposed stop, to do. Stop. Uh, yeah, it really built the tension in that moment because, like, you've just found out they shouldn't talk. The doctor is still rambling, and she's talking to her kid. Grant's just watching Laurel Ann. <laughs> and I'm like, man, nothing nothing is going well right now. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Laurel Ann, that is one of my favorite shots is after Laurel Ann does the nasty vomit onto the glass. My favorite shot is watching it slowly drip, and you can see, like, the cloudy <laughs> image of Laurel Ann through it, just staring at it. 
And I'm like, oh, that's upsetting. <laughs> and the doctor is just like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. He's like, I haven't seen that before. That's new. Yeah. Writes it down in his notebook. So excited. <laughs> oh, that's that's definitely one of my favorite shots. That and the close-ups of Grant when he's got his microphone and he's like really upset. I think those are my two favorite shots. Mm. It's just so good. Yeah. And then watching people slowly start to like, Laurel Ann slowly start to chase them. Not even chase. She's kind of just following them around. Yeah. And it's creepy how easy they can get away from them. Like how they convince the doctor in the early stages of him being infected. Like, no, just stay here. Just stay here. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's just so contrary to everything you know about a zombie movie. <laughs> so it was just so new and cool. And I just love this movie a lot is what yeah. I'm saying, basically. <laughs> that was something that I read in a lot of reviews where people were saying that like zombies of the monsters aren't malicious, mm-hmm. where it's just like need-based, instinct-based. It's not driven by like a desire to hurt people. It's just driven by like, oh, I do need to eat your brain for sustenance. I'm sorry about it. Right. But in this one, it's actually even sadder because it's this desperation to get the word out or to understand the word or to like purge it or like... Mm-hmm. I don't totally grasp it, but it's just like this desperation in passing it on before it destroys you from the inside. I mean, it's... And a, so it's it, also sadder. It's a much more relatable feeling because I, I don't... I mean, I have some bad days, but I don't normally go around repressing the urge to bite somebody. Normally. Yeah. You know, you, you have your days. But I <laughs> do, I do, I think it's a much more human concern to, to not be understood or to feel yes. like you can't explain yourself or that you can't get your words out. I think there's another really great moment where uh, after the Sydney has cut her hand and Laurel Ann is, is bandaging up her hand. Oh, yeah. And Laurel Ann says something like, uh, I, I, I think this was something in my mind or she she has some nonsensical line that is says, right on the border of sense which did right. you know what it, like do you it, remember it's what very it is? i don't remember the exact Heck. word but it's like uh i need to go he's here or like he's or it's something, something about it it's, it's something about, about her in in her mind it's something about it, it yeah i brought this it, battle it, back with me in my mind yes yes but i think it's a story i brought home or i think it's something that i brought home Mm -hmm. but and then it continues well it's an interesting moment because sydney because laurel ann is bandaging her hand and she she says this line and sydney's like yeah wait what like there's this moment where she 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 like agree is she's she's having a conversation and so she doesn't understand what laurel ann has said she's just kind of nodding along and, and laughs and then she takes a moment and understands that she doesn't understand what was saying what was being said and then laurel yeah. ann doesn't understand either and it i think that's just such a a real it's, moment that's so imbued with fear because of what's happening yeah mm-hmm. and i think it's also great because that is a little bit before sydney would know exactly what's happening too so it's she kind of knows and i think it's this moment of like i don't i don't know what's happening but like i know something's not quite right yeah and what she says something else about grant she says something about like grant's missing like he's missing and she says like grant's in the mazzy's missing and she's like well grant's in the recording studio and she's like yeah 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 like it, it like yeah like you said it's so human to just be like i'm not getting my words out right and i i want to like you know what you want to say in your head but there's just something preventing you from like being able to put it into words and it's it's such a frustrating yeah. feeling, but like if that was just happening to you constantly, I, I can't imagine. Like when uh, now it's time for another 
sad childhood moment now. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I was younger, like, one of my friends was the, like, 80-year-old woman that lived next door. Actually, she might have been in her 90s. She was super sweet. I would help her sweep her grass over her lawn. After after she had someone mow the lawn, okay, she would sweep the grass to evenly distribute it across the lawn. Okay. She had a reason. I helped. And she also had a very sweet cat. She also did have a stroke at one point. Oh. And after that, uh, she had a lot of difficulty speaking, which is really common with that. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying, like, in frustration that she knew what she was trying to say, but she couldn't say it and how frustrating that was for her because she loved to talk. Like, she wanted, right. she craved conversation, and she felt like she was stuck in her own head. And watching this movie, I just kept thinking about that. Oh, I yeah. That's, it's, like, Yeah. I get what you're saying about it being very human. It's very yeah. upsetting to think how they're feeling. And it's just like, they're just trying to get it out. And I don't know. I, well, this movie is just great. It, it's very <laughs> unsettling in a new way. And so anytime I recommend it to people, I'm like, it's weird. And I know that. And I know if they read the description, they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you just have to like, yeah. you got to watch it. Because it's just very different. It's not like any other movie I've seen. It, it's Oh, I love it. It's one that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just keep kind of rolling things over in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. This was the first time I'd seen it in a, like, a long time. I hadn't watched it since I was probably in like college or something. Um, but I still remembered a lot of it, which for me is a big surprise. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this this movie really stuck with me. It, it's very good. So I was very happy you suggested it. it it's been on our list, but we didn't really have... We're like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, it's, oh, it's kind of weird. Like, should no, we it's do winter. it? Winter, you gotta do it. Yeah. It's winter. You gotta so do it. So you're like, it's, it's winter. It's like snowy out. Yeah, just not yet. I, but not yet. I can't wait until it starts snowing. That's oh, all same. I want. This movie made me nostalgic for snow, no matter how scary it was. I was like, how beautiful. Like, <laughs> run out into the snow and yell, Sydney Breyer is alive. Sydney Breyer is alive. <laughs> yeah. That's how we celebrate, you know. Yeah, yeah every year. And Stephen yeah. McCaddy um, just has such a buttery, deep, beautiful voice. Just oh the way he, he, criminal. he whispers that into the microphone is just like, yeah. I'm like, why would you do this to me? Yeah, it's, it's wow. good. ASMR. I don't like you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. He's having a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I, mm, it was a good voice. I, I love when people have good voices. Um, what was I going to say? There was, oh, oh, the teapot moment. Mm. That freaks me out. That's the scariest moment. Oh, really? Oh, we're we're into it now. Okay. We might as well just dig into it then. Uh, Kate, take us away. That's your scariest moment. Okay, my scariest moment. Because you know that something is very wrong because she has started to, like, say, missing, missing, Mazzy's missing. Right. And then she starts to kind of, like, steal words and repeat things and echo. And then you have this, like, really mundane noise, just like a tea kettle whistling. And Laurelan walks away and then just kind of out of the corner you hear it. And then you look over and she's just stuck like this, like doing that like throat whistle type thing. And it's just so chilling because that's the point of no return, basically. Like that's the point where it's like, okay, she's gone. Yeah. There is, there's nothing else here. And it's just this very strange moment where it's like, this is beyond anything that I can explain. And it's that moment where you have to come to grips with everything at once. And I find that very frightening. Yeah, that was a close second in my scariest moment. Um, My scariest moment was... When uh, the the baby voice is coming mm. out of the the teen on the phone, yeah. any any of the moments on the phone really freaked me out. Just because like when you can't see something, you, you you know you make it up in your head on what it looks like. So I just did that, and I was like, I don't like what I see, and it was just so upsetting to think of this teen laying on the ground making noises like a like a child that were so convincing that it was just 
and he's trying to describe it to like Grant and Grant's hearing it and freaking out. Sydney's hearing it and freaking out and, and they still don't know if this is a hoax and like it was just so creepy to me. I, I, cause there's a moment in another movie I can't remember it right now. It's super well known, so it's weird that I can't remember it. But there's another moment where like uh, someone makes voices come out of another person's mouth that aren't their own, and it's like, oh, it's a sci-fi. That sounds movie. very like Conjuring. No, it's sci-fi. Well, it's a. Uh, it's know. got. Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> it's a very, Natalie Portman. It's got Natalie Portman. I have no okay, okay well, she's in about. it. And this <laughs> helps me none because I don't, I can't identify anyone. Basically, there's a part with like a bear that like makes the voices, it makes like humans' voices come out of its mouth. Very oh, oh, scary. Is this the, oh, I oh. know exactly, the Vandermeer one. Yeah. Uh, Annihilation. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah I've read Annihilation. I have not seen it. Okay. Yeah. That part just stuck with me. So that reminded me of that. And it just really upset me when things come out of someone's mouth and it's not quite how they're like, so that you know that they sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just always creeps me out. And even though I couldn't see it, I was like, I, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, it was creepy. Jenna, what was your scariest moment? I think my moment was also a Ken Loney moment. I think it's the mm-hmm. the moment and it, it it's an interesting moment because it's really early on. It's when um, he's describing... It's before he leaves in his car. It's when he's describing the crowds outside of Dr. Mendez's office and how they have Mm. burst through the walls and are just spilling out into the sea. And he has this, and it's it's all entirely in his line read, but he has a line that's something like, uh, people have died down there. And it just, his line read, it's just one of those things where like in in a lot of, especially zombie movies, um, we all just take for granted that there's going to be a lot of deaths and a lot of carnage. And I think one of the the really smart and pragmatic things that I like about this movie is how it treats these as the horrifying events that they are. It's not just like, well, everybody's dead. Let's go loot them all. It's like, (laughs) it's like Ken, Ken has just watched maybe uh, maybe 70 people be crushed to death under the feet of other people as they're all mm-hmm. screaming nonsense and he i think just the performance of that one line is so incredible because you can tell it has as he says later in another moment he, it has seen things that will ruin his the rest of his natural life i love mm-hmm. that line yeah that's anything that he does really really freaks me out i i think he did such a good job yeah to not ever be on screen but to still convince us that he's absolutely terrified was mm. incredible yeah yeah i will agree any ken <laughs> moment freaky oh, yeah. yeah um does that mean it's ready for trope <gasps> yeah i love mm-hmm. tropes <laughs> okay uh i told nikki a little bit about this one before but i wanted to save the actual read of it so this Sorry. one is all your base are belong to us <laughs> And this comes from, I did a research on it because I was like, I have no idea where this comes from. So the trope name comes from the opening scene in a video game from 1989. Oh, you guys don't know, you guys don't know the meme, all your base are belong to us. I don't know, but. (laughs) That is for somebody. I'm so excited because that's going on the website now. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to put that in the extension show notes. Yeah. Legitimately like one of the earliest internet memes. You guys, Uh, did you guys, did you watch the, Kate, did you watch the video? I didn't watch it yet. Okay, well, I you gotta. It it's oh, genuinely so okay, excited okay. now. Wow, okay, well, this is yeah. a fun piece oh. of internet history for you. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so excited. To us. I'm excited to hear what this is. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet. Okay, so it's basically like this 89... It was originally in Japanese, and then the translation, the opening cutscene, the translation is not good. <laughs> uh, so 
it starts off with the narrator, and I'm not going to, like, read all the people that are speaking, because whatever, but, uh, so the narrator starts in AD 2101, war was beginning. What happened? (laughs) Somebody set up us the bomb. We get signal. What? Main screen turn on. It's you. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. What you say? You have no chance to survive. Make your time. Laughs. Uh, take off every zig. You know what you are doing. For great justice. <laughs> My favorite is make justice. your time. Take off every zig, yeah. yeah. This is a classic. Take yeah. off every zig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Yeah, so. Make your time. So that's the naming of the trope. The trope itself is just like the enemies are in your home base, like your right. HQ. So it's like the um, church basement slash recording studio has been overwhelmed oh. and it is no longer a safe haven for them. Yeah, the base belonged to them. Yeah. All, their, all their base belonged to them. I yeah. Know. Yeah. They set us uh, up the bomb. Let's see. <laughs> they set us up the bomb. Remove your zig. <laughs> I can't. Uh, the next one is bread, eggs, milk, squick. And so this is the reverse Perfect. of arson, murder, and jaywalking. Wait. So <laughs> arson, murder, and jaywalking is when you have two very serious things followed by a lighthearted thing. And then this one is you have like several normal things followed by an abnormal thing. And there are a lot of different ways it can be played. It's usually for humor. It can also be played for horror in this case. So just a quick reminder, Squick uh, is in this case used to describe something that is horrifically disgusting. Oh. And it's potentially a combination of the words squeamish and ick. Also oh, okay. another yeah. old school internet lingo. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so when Mazzy is trying to summarize something he just heard, he was, it's after Ken Loney. And mm-hmm. when you hear the baby voice coming out. And so Grant's line is, that was her own Ken Loney interviewing a screaming baby coming from Mary Gold's eldest son's last dying gasps. Oh, God. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, so like we had our person, he was interviewing a, a baby. Oh, and it just gets I stand yeah. by at Scary's Moment. They're professionals. Oh, scary. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're professionals. <laughs> Listen, they're going to get the info. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then this one we talked about a bit earlier, but it's for science. And it's <laughs> Dr. Mendez. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it's often, or in this case, it's used for dark humor. So Mendez is more fascinated by the infection and how it operates than actually helping other people survive or solve it. <laughs> and it, the trope itself is about someone pursuing knowledge for knowledge's sake, not mm-hmm. in pursuit of like the greater good. And they don't have to have malicious intent. Sometimes they do, but it's like knowledge for knowledge's sake. So that's that one. I did love him. I really did. Oh, yeah. I love that character, which is interesting. Creeps because, me out, but I like him. Yeah. There were a lot of reviews that said that Dr. Mendez is what ruined the movie for them ah. because they said it was a rapid tonal shift or like a sudden tonal shift that they didn't think fit. And I was like, I think it fits really well because nothing makes sense. Why doesn't a doctor crawl through the window? Yeah, like, like, I love when he just like, hey, like yeah. crawls in. <laughs> he and then he just nopes out run. the window. He's got such a yeah. really like, little run where he's like not trying to I full love- sprint. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, conserve his energy. Conserve I love energy, when he yeah. crawls out the window and it's just his little legs uh-huh. leaving, and I'm like, aw. And then like he's saving us, and I'm like, he sure is. Mm-hmm. You go, Mendez. So I love that character, but he was apparently controversial for some folks. Well, he's great. And my last joke for today is Morton's fork. Oh. And I have mentioned it once before, but it turns out that like 
I think when I brought it up, I don't remember the movie. I was like, people said this was Morton Fork. I don't think it is, but I wanted to tell you about it. So Morton's Fork is actually taking place here. And it's basically the like heads I win, tails you lose situation. Where like to truly qualify as a Morton, Morton's Fork situation, both results have to be equally bad. And it's basically like whatever choice you're given will result in the same thing. So it doesn't matter what you choose. So in this case... It's used for humor, and it's when Mazzy and Sydney have kicked the child to death and are debating who has to go kill Mendez, who is also infected. And Mazzy says that since Sydney killed the girl, she's already a murderer, so she should be the one to kill Mendez. And she's like, hold on, you killed her. And he's like, that's probably true. Since I killed the girl, it's <laughs> your turn to kill Mendez. Yeah. <laughs> Morton's fork. <laughs> I, I love that when he turns it back on her and he's like, oh, you know what? You're right. I did kill her. So you yeah. have to- <laughs> Yep. I'm like, oh, you dick. <laughs> And the trope name of this comes from John Morton, Archbishop of Canterbury and Lord Chancellor under Henry VII. I don't have a grasp of what either of those titles or roles mean, but he did collect taxes. And his reasoning of tax collecting or in-tax collecting was that the wealthy were doing so well that they could obviously pay high taxes. And people that were living very modestly were modestly were clearly very frugal and careful with their money and could therefore afford to pay higher taxes. Huh. So that's no. Morton's fork. Right. <laughs> yeah. like you tricky bastard. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. God, okay, that's great. Those are my okay. The squick word always gets me. There were me. a lot, but those are my favorites. <laughs> I can't believe squick is also an old internet. Yeah. Where where yeah. have I been? Like, am I just... I like think I came late to the internet. internet. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right. I thought I had like a firm grasp. I was like, I know the shoes video. I know here is the earth. Yeah, I know salad classic. fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Uh, well, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess that means it's time to rate the movie oh. now, which, as you know, we choose really strange uh, rating uh, scales. scales. So mm-hmm. we had a few written down, but like if you've got any, shout them out. Yeah. Uh, right now, you say this one because it's too many letters for my dyslexic little brain. Linguistically embattled zombies. There it is. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. We got. I got classic glass smacks from our poor oh, good Laura. Laura, Laura Ann. poor girl. Uh, Brave doctors and whiskey coffees. Yeah. Oh. So that's what we've got so far. Oh, but you know. Fun. Could we do yeah, the, yeah. the number of babies living in the throat of mm. <laughs> the eldest I don't want to say throat babies, but <laughs> ventriloquist babies. Ventriloquist babies. Ventriloquist babies, <laughs> yeah. I All like right, ventriloquist yeah. babies. All right. <laughs> Creeps me out. Okay. All right. We usually just uh, we just hold up how many out of five, how many ventriloquist babies we're going to give this. And you can give it a knuckle for a, a half. Knuckle for a half. Okay. So really, we should do a 10 scale, but we don't. We, we don't. do it out of five and do halves as well. <laughs> I am I am ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. Three, two, one. Nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the peer pressure. Yeah. That's that is that's fifteen ventriloquist babies. That's a lot of ventriloquist babies. A perfect five all around. Um, Jenna, do you want to start? Why, why are you giving it a perfect five? I mean, it's genuinely, I think, one of my favorite horror movies. I, I again, I, I am particularly drawn to any horror movie that. Is survives a rewatch uh, and mm, anything that yeah. gets better the more you rewatch it which I think Pontypool does in a lot of ways does, yeah. uh, is is gonna be high on my list yeah yeah agreed very good that's also one of my reasons yeah. is because I was worried that because I hadn't seen it in so long I was like what if I don't like it and then I watched <laughs> it and I was like no 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 this is so good 
Um, and I love that it's yeah, any movie that's in one location but doesn't make me feel bored is mm-hmm. also really good because as I've mentioned many many times my ADHD can sometimes make me a little hard to pay attention so if like things are getting a little like uh, dragging on I'll stop paying attention but I don't this one is so interesting and different and I just never know what's going to happen next that I could not not pay attention I was so into it um yeah and I loved it and I also just really like the the good camera work and the sound mm. design it's just really good yeah, I think the reason that I now give it five ventriloquist babies <laughs> is that, first of all, like y'all said, the rewatch bonus, just, it is rewatchable, and it's still enjoyable each time, and you catch new things each time. You're like, oh, I heard them say it. Oh, I heard this. Oh, I know. Honey. Oh, and, honey. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, I love that it is in a single location, and it still maintains, like, it uses that to its advantage. It had a very small budget, but it's like, we're going to do this. And then I think my favorite thing is that I love weird language things. And so there's this book that I read years ago called Ella Minope. And mm-hmm. it's, I don't know how to say this word. I've only ever read it. Epistolary, where it's entirely written through letters to each other. And it's like this town where they have this like sign that has a sentence. It's like, uh, it's the one that you're typing so that you get every letter of the alphabet. It's like the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Mm -hmm. Or I might be missing a word here or there. But uh, when letters fall off the sign, they can no longer use those letters in written or spoken communication. And so her letters get more and more sparse and creative until they can figure out a new way to rearrange the letters. It's wild. Hmm. And it's just very strange. And when Pontypool opens up, he's like, like, Pontypool, Pontypool. And he's like going through and breaking it down and talking about language. And I love that. And it really sets the tone for like, this is going to be weird. <laughs> it's going to be kind of a mind fuck. You're going to have to think about shit in a really different way. And I love that about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's why. That's, that's a really, really good reason. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I just really like this movie. I think it's, it's so good. It's so different. And I hope that more people mm. will hear this and be like, yeah, I will watch it. Because yeah. everyone I talked to was like, oh, I've never seen it. I'm going to check it out. And I was like, yeah. yeah. I had no idea it was like a niche movie because I, everyone, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Pontypool. And they're like, oh, that one. And I was like, okay, fine. Well, <laughs> as I talked about at the beginning, not to call out my friend again, but when mm. I said we were watching Pontypool, she sent me a message that said, what the fuck is Pontypool? <laughs> I was like, it's good. It's worth it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that wraps up our conversation on yeah. horror. Um, so we just wanted to say thank you so, so much, Jenna, yeah. for joining us. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for are... having me. Yeah, oh, this was yeah. a blast. We're so excited that you joined us. Uh, we absolutely love your videos on Polygon. Yes. <laughs> I constantly tell people about the Mario Brothers movie. Ah! We had liked it. And I think that Luigi is a gay icon. And I think yeah, that yeah, he's... Absolutely. He's a classic himbo archetype. Yeah. He's... Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's beautiful. And <laughs> I, I told my friends all the time. I'm mm-hmm. like, what well, he's gay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you have anything you want to plug, though, uh, yeah. would you like to? You can find me on Twitter at the Jenna or on Twitch at the underscore Jenna, oh. uh, or just on the internet. My name's Jenna Stever. It's spelled S-T-O-E-B-E-R. Good luck. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, your, your Blender streams are also amazing. Yeah, thank oh, you. Yeah. I love them. They're so good. But yeah, we just wanted to say thank you again. Thank you so yeah, much. I really appreciate it.
So that wraps up our discussion of Pontypool with special guest Jenna Steber. Jenna Steber, what a gem. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> so sweet. Go check her out. Dude, her videos on Polygon are so so, so funny. We were actually watching them right before we yeah, recorded. Yeah, we were. <laughs> uh, also, the Blender streams. They're so good. Not just the Blender streams. All of her streams are great, mm-hmm. but all of her Blender art is so good. Uh, Love yeah. it. Check her out. So if you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to help other people find our show and to kind of like boost us a little bit. It also makes us feel better. And it makes us feel better like we're not feeling good at all. I'm feeling sad. Could you rate and review? (laughs) Please. Uh, Ulu? No! I know. I'm sorry. I I sinned. Uh, But basically, it helps us see like what you like about the show, what we should keep doing, that sort of thing. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Ghoul With It, where every Wednesday we'll post the movie for the week and where you can stream it if it is available to stream. Pontypool is this not one was streaming a little, anywhere. Yes, it was a little tough, but we'll, mm-hmm. we're trying to make sure we have at least somewhere to stream mm-hmm. it. And you can check out our extended show notes on our website, JustGoalWithItPod.com. And that's where I'm going to post that the video. video that Jenna mentioned, where I was like, oh, I read the text. That's everything I need to know. There's a video? Look at Jenna just owning us an awesome, God like, damn. internet culture. I'm just like, oh, I thought I, I was knew like, things. what's the internet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> where is the cloud? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I don't understand the cloud. And at this point, I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> You can also take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash it. And we have a new patron this we month. We do. We're very grateful. So we'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our patrons. Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Kayla, Meg, Katie, Morgan, Brady, Kenny, and Darby. Woo! Woo! Look at all these lucky people that uh. get to watch us play horror games and poor Kate is so scared. Are uh, you so scared? <laughs> Last time we played a horror game, Kate got scared and then touched me with her cold foot and it was It was my upsetting. shoe. It was your shoe, but God, it felt like a snowy landscape, Kate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like I was transported to Pontypool. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that the, wraps it up. Yeah, the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Racazella, <laughs> and the cover art is by our very own Nikki Solomon. You said that very nice, and I did just roast you, so I'm sorry because I forgot you had to say something nice about me. Yeah, well, it's fine. It's fine. It's not my fault you have cold feet. You don't <laughs> even know. <laughs> she tried to touch me. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to get that, that wave scream <laughs> out. Jeez. Uh, say a nonsensical sentence to wrap it up. Um, Nectarine time. Comb your frogs. No! <laughs> Water bottles. They're Dear, fuck, I don't know, man. I panicked so hard. I just quoted Dharma Greg. <laughs> you would never guess that I've studied improv. I'm quitting this. I'm done. Bye. I'm <laughs> Your base are belong to us. <laughs> <laughs>